And a guy named Ray came in and, and sat down and, uh, and told me 10 words that told me more about Alcoholics Anonymous than I've, anything I've ever heard before or since. He came in and said, Brooks, I know how you feel. How can I help you? And he knew, and he did. And I, and I began the journey in sobriety. From that quaking academy, jitter joint, alcoholic rehabilitation facility for us folks that are more sensitive like me, but it began right there. And what they told me, only drink you have to stay away from is the first one. And you only have to do that today, and you don't have to do it forever. And so I began to pay attention to what they were talking about. They lovingly, lovingly cared for me. And I let them uh, show me how how it works. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride, take what you want, and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Well, hello, my little chickadees. Glad you were all here. That was the voice of Mr. Brooks B., that you heard at the beginning of this episode, and you will be hearing much, much more from him in just a moment. But I wanted to start off the episode today with a uh, a post that I received, actually, through or a message that I received uh, on our Facebook page here recently. And uh, this is from a woman named, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, uh, is it Brit or Bright? B-R-I-T-E. And she says, hi, John. I am a 53-year-old woman from Oslo, Norway. I would love to join the Facebook group. And we got her in there. She said, I started listening to your podcast two weeks ago, and I am just loving it. now." I am six months sober. I never thought I would become an alcoholic. Welcome to the club, right? I grew up with a father who was active in Alcoholics Anonymous. I even joined a group of Norwegian AA members to the AA World Convention in New Orleans in 1980. My thing from age 13 was various and serious eating disorders. But when I gave that up, the drinking set in. I am working on the steps now with my sponsor and I have a home group with warm and lovely people. And I listen to your podcast when I'm, when I'm hiking in the forests surrounding Oslo. The area of Oslo, the capital of Norway, is two-thirds forest and 
Fujord? I don't know what that is. F-G-O-R-D? I'm sure that means something that I'm not educated enough to know what it is. But nonetheless, uh, I just have a public high school education, you know. Anyway, she says, thank you so much for the great input I get from you. Regards, Brit or Bright F, daughter of Hans F. Oh, that was great. So we went back and forth a couple times and I said, she said, thanks. I have joined the Facebook group. I am marketing the podcast to friends in the fellowship here in Oslo. This weekend, there will be a primary purpose convention in Oslo from Israel, Germany, and Lithuania. It starts on Friday, November 1st, the same days that I will have six months sobriety. I'll spread the word about the podcast. It gives me so much input and sometimes both laughter and tears. That is fantastic. Thank you so much for writing in from Oslo, Norway. And uh, I, I am just, I'm just so appreciative of that. And I got to tell you, when I first saw that, I started thinking, you know, this is where my, my mind goes. And I'm so sorry. Number one, I loved your, your uh, feedback there. But the other thing I thought of is that I had to take my kids to that movie Frozen a few times. And there was that little uh, guy in there. I, I think his name was uh, Olaf. And if you run across that little, uh, what was he? Was he, was he a rabbit? Was he, what, what kind of animal was he? No, not a rabbit. Anyway, if you run across that little Olaf guy, will you tell him that I said hello? I sure would appreciate it. And also, if you run across Sven, uh, I appreciate it. And you could just tell him that, uh, I, I went to the AA meeting today in Norway. Uh, and I'm so sorry to do that. See, I just completely ruined your wonderful uh, feedback there that you had. Okay, so moving on here. Um, once again, mark your calendar because we will have Sober Speak Live on December 6th here in Frisco, Texas at the Grace Avenue United Methodist Church again, where we had it last time. If you want, if you folks want to join the secret Facebook group, much like our friend from Oslo, all you got to do is send me your email address associated with your uh, Facebook account to John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. If you had not followed us on the Instagram, you will want to do that. Uh, I am at SoberSpeak, all one word. And if you have not shared either a, an episode or the entire podcast with a friend or family member lately, it may be just the thing that they need. If you could pause that little bitty device that you're on right there and share it with uh, anybody, <laughs> it would be fantastic. All right. Now, on to Mr. Brooks B. All right, so Brooks, uh, oh, by the way, let me mention this. I almost forgot. I am so thankful to the Tri-City organization here in Dallas, Texas, who let me come in and record Brooks during this live 
talk, if you will. As you know, usually what I'll do is a sit down face to face with somebody and we kind of go through a Q&A session. This is a little bit different, right? We're coloring outside the lines just a little bit. And there's an organization here in North Texas called Tri-Cities that has a quarterly speaker meeting. They have other events, but the main thing that they have is a quarterly speaker meeting. And uh, they were gracious enough to come in there and let me record Mr. Brooks. And I'm so appreciative of that. If you're interested in more, uh, if you want some more information about Tri-Cities, just send me an email and I will make sure to get it over to them. But uh, once again, it's a, a quarterly live event that they have here in North Texas. But Brooks B, as he puts it, he is well into his 47th year of sobriety. He's 81 years old. He's an amazing guy. I love how he talks about in this. He starts it out by talking about what he called precision drinking. Didn't have too much, didn't have too little, had just the right amount to get him into Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, he's going to talk to you about a, an encounter with a guy named Ray that he had. Um, and you're going to love his, uh, he is from Texas, and you're going to love his, uh, I guess what you would call his uh, sayings or what do you call that? Colloquial, colloquialisms. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please welcome Mr. Brooks B. Enjoy. And we'll have a lot of listener feedback at the end of this. My name is Brooks B. And I'm an alcoholic and a member in good standing of the Clean Air North group. And I have not had a drink of whiskey since about 9.30 in the morning, 46 years ago yesterday. <laughs> Nobody's more surprised than I am. <laughs> My sponsor, Steve L. in Colorado Springs, I talked to him yesterday. I said, well, what do you think about that, Steve? He says, he says oh, that's, that, that's just God showing off. You know, <laughs> and I believe that. You know, thanks for inviting me, uh, Steve. Wherever you are, where are you? There you go. He's, I you can blame him if you know this doesn't go well. You know, I drank just like y'all did. You know, if one was good, two was better, four was about right. I drank yours, mine, ours, theirs, anybody's. I drank as much as I could, as fast as I could, whenever I could, and often as I could. You know, I drank, I drank, I drank scotch. Sophisticated, sophisticated drinker, scotch, you know, and uh, and and vodka, and uh, gin. I did not drink very much bourbon. It, uh, I didn't like bourbon, but I drank a little wine when I was controlling my drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody in here ever drank any wine, did you? Don't don't lie. <laughs> Hold your hand up if you ever drank any wine. <laughs> In the morning. <laughs> well, drinking wine in the morning is hard. <laughs> Woo! Lord, maybe I won't have to do that again. You know, it's just... Uh, I got here the same way y'all did. You know, just pitching my hat in the air, so I'm boy, hot diggity dog, what a good deal this is. You know, I just, you know... We just, we're all alike, you know, just like peas in a pod. You know, some drank a little more sophisticated than I did, and some drank a little less, you know. 
I drank just the right amount, you know. Uh, my, <laughs> my friend David, David A. Call, called it precision drinking. <laughs> one more drink would kill me, and one less I wouldn't need to be here at all. You know, it's, it's just the right amount, you know. I have the most difficult kind of sobriety to get, and that's continuous, you know, so it, <laughs> and it never ceases to amaze me that, it's, you know, somebody say, well, boy, you've been, you know, I'm, I'm well into my 47th year, as you, as you, as you know, you know, and so, so it, you know, it's kind of one of those things that maybe I'll even make 47, you never can tell. I've made today, and uh, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I had really had no reason to become an alcoholic. You know, I, I was uh, I was a more enlightened life to a well-to-do couple. My father was an orthodontist. My mother was a household engineer and managed help and stuff like that. I got drunk the first time when I was 15. I got drunk the last time so far when I was 35. For those of you that are a little slow with math, that makes me 81 years old, you know. <laughs> but but, but uh, uh, it's one of those things, that when I figured I drank the right amount, then I was absolutely wrong about that. And I understand that the only drink I have to stay away from is the first one, and so uh, maybe I'll be able to do that uh, for today. I was an only child, absolutely spoiled rotten by the time I was six years old. I mean, I was not worth killing. You know, I had, I, had, I, I had everything a kid could want growing up. I was worshipped and adored and, and doted on and all that came in us, you know. And it was uh, no reason to become an alcoholic, except that I took a little drink every now and then. And I, uh, I had many opportunities. I had everything a kid could want. I went north to school. I went to OU. You know, so <laughs> don't hold it against me. You know, but, but you know, it's I went to OU, and uh, uh, it was it was one of those things that uh, I was glad to get out of the house, and I think, truth be known, that Brooks and Dixie were glad to get me out of the house, to tell you the truth. Anyway, I, I, I drank uh, moderately in college. That's a lie, of course. You know? <laughs> Overindulged slightly, and I was uh, uh, I, I wanted I, I, I wanted to go to dental school. Because my father was an orthodontist, and, and, I, uh, uh, and I thought, well, you know, and he had a great big practice. And I said, well, you know, if I go to dental school, I can inherit this practice. However, there was a small problem with that. I have absolutely no hand-eye coordination <laughs> and no small motor skills. If your dentist does not have good hand-eye coordination and doesn't have small motor skills, you need to change dentists. Where's Tim? Anyway, but, but I drank regularly, and uh, I, would, uh, I was in like lust in love with a little high school girl, and I came home for the Texas-Oklahoma weekend. What I really did, I got about a pint of uh, scotch, which I drank immediately and then had to go get another one. And then I went downtown and took her along. I wanted to impress her. You know, it was one of those things that, uh, you know, a high school girlfriend, a big college man. I was a big college man, you know. I, said, mm -hmm. I couldn't drive home, but a friend of mine drove home, and I had a brand-new 1956 Ford Victoria with a great big wide chrome stripe down the side. And I was riding in the back seat, 
quietly. And then I felt the urge to call Ralph. Some of y'all might be familiar with Ralph. You know, so I felt the need to call Ralph when I was drinking a little wine, you know, and, I, and I'd call Ralph and then I'd run up my nose and I'd go, phew, phew, So, you know, I'd call Ralph and Huey. I called Ralph and Huey out the back window. That impressed her. But I made, <laughs> I made a scientific discovery. I discovered that scotch destroys chrome. It eased down on that big wide chrome stripe and took the hide off of it and all that other business. And I traded that car. I had to trade it later. It had been hit more times than Joe Lewis with the thing. <laughs> with the, with the, the guy that picked up said, what happened to this chrome stripe? And I said, son, it was just a, it must have been a manufacturer's defect or something. I don't know what it was. In 1956, they didn't even have manufacturer's defects. You know? <laughs> I was a good biology student and a good physics student. I was a terrible chemistry student. Chemistry does not make any sense. You know, I took organic chemistry at North Texas twice, at SMU twice, and then I went to a little school over in Fort Worth, Texas Wesleyan College, trying to get into dental school, and I finally passed organic chemistry, but this old man that taught the course was about half blind, and they let you take chem wheels in. Y'all don't know what chem wheels are. You're too young. <laughs> but it's a, it's a paper wheel that you, that you can put, you know, that you can figure things on. And I figured out I could write most of the answers on the quiz <laughs> under that paper because you lift it up like that. And I finally passed organic chemistry. I got so good at organic chemistry, I didn't even have to take the labs anymore. You know, I, I could start the labs. I was in a little school over in Fort Worth, and I could start the labs and go down the street to the beer joint and come back in about three or four hours, you know, which, and the lab would be done, you know. So it, it was... I was good at labs. I got into dental school and stayed about 10 minutes. And they, uh, uh, you know what? I found out, Tim was there. Yeah. I found, I found out to be a good dentist, you had to put your hands in people's mouth. Did you know that? I had just as soon be a proctologist. You know, it was just, it was just, it was, it was just awful. You know, it, just, it was just, ooh, anyway. And I wouldn't have been any good at it anyway, so it didn't make any difference, you know. But I met this little girl, and, and I fell in, in, in lust, and she fell in like, and so we married. And I was in dental school fixing to quit. She didn't know that. I got, I got asked the question that if you're alcoholic, you never want to be asked this question. And we weren't married yet, and she had a chance to cut and run. But she, she, she asked me the question, she said, why do you drink so much? Good golly, Miss Molly, how do you answer that question? You know, you say, oh, well, you know, it relaxes me, or oh, it tastes good, or oh, it's, you know, uh, mm, uh. You, if you're an alcoholic in training, like I was, you can't answer that question. And so I, I came up with some lame excuse like it, oh, it relaxes me, or I did not tell her it's you or anything like that. Smart, you know. You, you can't answer that question if you're an alcoholic. Why do you drink so much? Because it's natural. But anyway, I've progressed along, and we were married, and, and, and we tried to have children didn't have any, and so we adopted a couple of kids from the Edna Gladney home over in Fort Worth, a little boy for me, a little girl for her. Uh, my folks had passed away by that time. Uh, my mother died of uh, Hodgkin's disease, uh, 
discovery to death nine months, and it took about four years for my dad to drink himself to death after that. And so, uh, you know, it's one of those things that uh, we just, but you'd look at the, my wife liked Great Danes, big spotted Great Danes, Harlequin Great Danes. Have y'all ever cleaned up after a Great Dane? <laughs> Holy mackerel, Andy. I mean, you know, you got to get a, it's a, it's a job, you know, it just is. And, uh, but anyway, we had the Great Dane and, and I, I bought her a Thunderbird car, you know, and since I'd quit dental school, I was, uh, uh, I, I started to work in a bank. I was a young hero banker, you know, started to work at the Preston State Bank, you know, right down here, and then went to work in a little, in a, another little bank, and, you know, I was, I was some kind of, I can't remember to tell you the truth, I was some kind of whoop-de-doo vice president, you know, a senior vice president or uh, uh, executive vice president or some, I was some kind of vice president. I made almost $18,000 a year, whether I needed it or not. You know, I, and I, at that, I was probably overcompensated. They expected me to show up for work, which I thought was kind of rude. You know, <laughs> you know, fellow gets up, gets organized in the morning, you know, takes a little drink and, you know, and all that business. And you'll eventually get to work, you know, eventually, you know, about to crack a 10, you know, something like that. <laughs> I was on the board of that bank, too and owned a large block of stock that I couldn't possibly pay for ever. If I paid $100 a month from then to now, and it's been 50 years ago, you know. They let the breeze hit me where the bulldog bit me. I couldn't believe it they fired me. You know, I was, I was so good at what I did, you know. It, I did have about half-decent credit judgment, and I, I was about half-decent judge of people. But then the UCC-1 code came out, and they complicated things. You had to get all kinds of paperwork and stuff like that. It's the darnest thing I've ever seen. You, have, you make, a, make a car loan and get a half a dozen pieces of paper signed. I mean, gee, when he had a, And I never would do that. You know, I said, you know, I said here, here, I'd hand a guy a note in blank and said, here, sign this. He says, you want me to sign this blank note? I said, you want the money, don't you? You know, so, <laughs> so it's one of those deals, you know. But I never could get the paperwork all squared around and all that other missing. Thank God I had a secretary that took care of me for a little bit. And, uh, but, uh, I drank the job up. I mean, it's just that simple. And, uh, they let me go and, uh, and I didn't have anything to do. So I decided, well, what I'll do, I'll just go in the oil business. Don't do that unless you're a lot smarter than I was. You know, it was just, it was one of those things. I, I thought I knew something about it because I had a little ranch out in West Texas that had about five and a half, six sections or something like that. And the Cosmo Petroleum Company from Tulsa come up and drilled a whole bunch of oil wells on it, which was good for me because I was spending money that I didn't have, and then I had some, you know. And so it was, uh, and so I thought I knew about the oil business. I didn't know nothing about the oil business, you know, except, <laughs> except you get a check once a month. And so uh, I did that for a little while, and then, uh, and then uh, you have to take consideration. My drinking progressed. I think one of the most gracious things I've found, and if I take the drink tomorrow that I postponed today, I hope I don't forget the beauty of the morning drink. You know, when you, when you get up and you got the flibberty gibbets pretty bad and your hands are shaking around and all this other keen business, you know, and uh, you, you can get your little taste. You know, not too much. You know, you don't want to get started too early, you know. And... <laughs> 
I didn't have anywhere to go anyway, you know, so I, you know, so I'd get a little taste and get settled down and then things would be better, you know. And, and then that, that settled so good that I'd, I'd get me another one here in a little while. And then the next thing you know, I'd get me another one. And then the next thing you know, I'd go back to bed and have to take a little nap. It's a good thing I wasn't working because I couldn't do anything else. As my alcoholism progressed, this deadly disease progressed. My drinking, of course, progressed along with it. It had me by the throat, and I didn't even know it. You know, <laughs> I think that's very strange, but I didn't, you know. I thought everybody drank like I did. I thought I was a social drinker. Somebody go get me a little, I said, tell me, so I think I'll go get me a little drink, and I said, well, so shall I. You know, that's social drinking, you know. <laughs> but best I could tell, I mean, you know, what the heck, you know. So I drank my fill, you know, I drank... Uh, just the right amount. I'd done everything that I could do to live a just and true life, but uh, I just couldn't do it, you know. And uh, when the whiskey man grabbed me, he grabbed me hard. Just beat me like a red-haired stepchild on a rented mule. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a tough deal. I eventually drank them up, you know, her, them, it, you know, uh, jobs, kids, you know, all that stuff. And I was left alone. And I really started to drink then because, you know, wasn't anybody watching me or none of that business. Or making those or making those remarks like, well, you're going to take another drink? You know, I said, well, gosh, I hope so. You know, <laughs> but when alcoholism got me, it progressed very rapidly. I found out that, uh, that I could take a little drink and go to the bank because they hadn't quite fired me yet, but they fired me shortly after that and uh, work until about 10 o'clock, and then I'd have to go out to the parking lot or go to my house and get a little taste, you know, just, you know, just to carry me till about noon, you know. And so my drinking eventually came uh, around the clock. It got to progressive, progressively worse, and it, uh, I was probably half a drink away from dying, you know. And, I, and so I, I decided I, I was, they took, I'd been on a little bender, not so much anybody had noticed it or anything, you know, just two or three weeks. And I called a friend of mine, who was one of us, and said, you know what, I can't quit drinking. He said, well, I'll come over there, you know. And so they came over there and they put me over at Presbyterian Hospital, dried me off and, and dusted me off and, and uh, got me sorted out and gave me some of them uppers and downers around the corner, some of that powdered whiskey, you know, which scared me, you know. First thing I did when I got home, I threw that away, you know, and, it, and they cut me loose. You know, they didn't, they didn't say. My doctor, who was a personal friend of mine, Walter, Walter said, well, Brooks, you better not drink for a while. I told him, I said, no problem. And I said, well, I got out of there, you know, and, and, and got home, and, and I didn't drink for a long time. I didn't drink for a week. If you're a practicing alcoholic, a week is an eternity. And then, see, I made the decision— well, golly, Brooks, you're 35 years old, a full-grown man, a native Texan. A cold beer never hurt anybody. That was over Fourth of July weekend of, of 73, and, and by the middle of October of 73, a cold beer almost killed me because what it was, it was a trigger dose. And I started back up, and the phenomenon of craving started to occur, and the mental compulsion never left. I had no effective mental defense against the first drink. So I decided... That I would, so I was drinking beer, controlling my drinking. And then I decided beer would make me fat. 
<laughs> 40, 47 years or 46 years of, of recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous has not made me fat. I was fat to begin with. <laughs> so I decided what I would do. I would drink wine. And that's how I became a wine connoisseur. I did not drink that wine with the screw top lid on it. I did, and I don't think, I might be wrong, but I don't think they had, had wine in those big um, uh, paper, paper boxes. I don't, I don't think I ever drank any of that. I, I don't know. I hope not. It was way too sophisticated. But I drank, I drank Matus Rosé. <laughs> I thought Mike was going to hurl. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it was wine with a cork in it. I'd have the twits pretty bad in the morning. Some of y'all might have had the twits, you know, your hands. And I would try and open me a, a little bottle of wine, and it and it didn't work out very well, you know. So, you know, so I get to, get the corkscrew on it, and then and then it, and then it wouldn't work, and then I'd get it run down the side. And Finally, what I do, you know, I just, I just get the corkscrew out of the way and just get a screwdriver and just knock the cork down it <laughs> like that. <laughs> And then strain, and then strain the wine through, through a handy dish rag or a wash towel or something, or something handy, you know, to get the big pieces out. Then you get your little drink out of it. But I, but I was drinking that sophisticated wine, and I thought that was really kind of the answer. But it—I uh, hate to tell you this, but it wasn't. You know, if you're gonna drink, just go ahead and just get after it. I mean, you know. Drink vodka, drink gin, drink scotch, drink bourbon, you know, uh, uh, rum, you know, whatever you want to, you know. Golly bum, don't drink wine, you know. It's just, <laughs> holy Toledo. It's uh, mm. anyway, but that was the that was the controlling of my drinking. It uh, didn't last long. I got here the same way y'all did. I was out of airspeed, altitude, and ideas. I had a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, that I couldn't drink up. Most of us here. Have had friends that we couldn't drink up, or we wouldn't be here. You know, I had a key to his house, which was a mistake on his part. <laughs> but I went out to his house and drank his whiskey for a while, and then they came home from work and stuff, and and he'd put me over at Presby before, and so they they said, "Well, what are we going to do with him this time?" You know, you know how they talk about us, you know, like we're that speaker over there, like, what are we going to do with him this time? You know, so, who's to know, you know? But one thing they did, they called a man named Dave Lane. Dave's dead now. And Dave was a longtime member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And Dave uh, uh, said, well, you know, there's a place he can go. He said, there's a, there's a place called Center Hospital down on Gaston Avenue. Took me down there, and, and, I, and I went to Center Hospital, and it was an alcoholic treatment center, really the only one in town at that time that used Alcoholics Anonymous as the treatment modality, you know, scurrying the, the drunks, a lot different than, you know, scurrying the drunks out to the suburban group and all that business. I went in there, checked in. They had a pretty blonde-haired woman with large breasts is, I think, the reason that I checked in. But it... <laughs> But I didn't know what else to do, you know. And so they took, they took me in and, and, and they detoxed me. And a guy came in and, and I was in the detox room looking out the window. 
Well, Gasson Avenue, and there was a beer joint right down the street. It had one of those signs, you know how they are, it says, cold beer, cold beer, cold beer. Yeah. And, I was, and I was looking at that sign and getting a little thirsty. <laughs> and a guy named Ray came in and, and sat down and, uh, and told me 10 words that told me more about alcoholics now than I've, anything I've ever heard before or since. He came in and said, Brooks, I know how you feel. How can I help you? And he knew, and he did. And I, and I began the journey in sobriety. From that Quaking Academy, Jitter Joint, Alcoholic Rehabilitation Facility for us folks that are more sensitive, like me. And you know, but, but it began right there, you know. And what they told me is that the only thing you have to do is, the only drink you have to stay away from is the first one. And you only have to do that today, and you don't have to do it forever. And so I began to pay attention to what they were talking about. They lovingly, lovingly cared for me. And I let them uh, uh, show me how, to, how it works. Because I didn't, I didn't know. You know. How was I to know? You know? I remember the, the, the first AA meeting I went to was out at the suburban group. And the only reason we went out there is because the guy that ran the drunk farm, Tony, that was his group, and so he brought all the patients out there. I guess they needed the money or something. I don't know what it was. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, at different times, and folks would come pick us up in their own private vehicles and take us out there and all that stuff. And I, got, and I was desperately afraid to go on account of the bank that I'd been recently fired from was out in that particular part of town. The suburban group was on the corner of the circle of Heinz Boulevard, and I was afraid that I would run into a bank customer out there. <sighs> Holy mackerel, not that I could do anything for him then, because, you know, I was already fired. But, it was <laughs> but I was afraid someone would see me and know that I was an alcoholic. They all knew anyway. <laughs> Everybody knew but me. You know? <laughs> and they, so so they, 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 they carried me out to the suburban group, and I don't know how he did it, but Dave Lane arranged for three or four bank customers to be greeters at that meeting at the suburban group. <laughs> and all that fear went away. You know, it just, well, if they are, I am. Or if I am, they are. You know, I began to go to meetings. I, I met a woman, an Alcoholics Anonymous. She was sober a year longer than I was. And she took advantage of me, is what it was. <laughs> My wonderful vow soared up uh, November the 2nd, 1972, and I got sober uh, October 17th, 1973. There was a time from October 17th to November the 2nd of the same year, I would tell her, well, now we're even, since we have the same number of years. And she would look at me and say, I can't say what she said. I will say the nice word. She said, balderdash. Isn't that, isn't, that a wonderful, isn't that a wonderful word? Rarer than the other one. And she said, she would say, Sonny boy, you better go to a meeting and tell me what's going on. I said, yes, ma'am. And I went. We had a 35-year relationship, a 20-year marriage. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. She led the way. Val died September the 1st, uh, 209. Uh, 
it uh, it absolutely ruined the opening day of dove season. But it was, <laughs> but it was. <laughs> she was just a dandy. She loved me like nobody else, you know, and, and we had a wonderful relationship, you know. I'm, I'm so grateful for that. I'm, I'm just thrilled to death at that. We, uh, we went to international conventions. We went everywhere. Went out to, let's see, first international convention we went to was in Denver, and that was in 75, I think. And then we went to air, international conventions are held in AA once every five years. And we went to every one of them. Uh, the last one I went to was in San Antonio in, uh, in 2010, and she died in 2009. And I already had the reservations and stuff to go to that one, and, and that's the last one I was able to go to. And I've not been able to go to another one since, but it was, uh, well, we just had a grand time. I was on a committee. I gave a talk, things and stuff, you know. <laughs> My service sponsor was a little Jewish dentist named David Aronofsky. And, and David, best I could tell, ran Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, it was one of those deals. David knew who was drunk, who was fixing to get drunk, who was sleeping with who, why, where, everything. And that wasn't in the city of Dallas. That was all over the country. You know, you you, you count on David just to know stuff, you know. And uh, he, uh, what a delight he was, you know. He was my service sponsor until he died 25 years but anyway, I've had a uh, had a wonderful time in Alcoholics Anonymous. I've uh, I, uh, the most difficult kind of sobriety to get is continuous, I think. And so far, I've been very fortunate. My sobriety has been continuous. You know, now I've done a few things. You know, I get up and I read and pray and you know talk to another drunk. I hang around with drunks. That's probably not very smart, but. <laughs> But all my friends are in AA. Everybody I knew that was still drinking has all died. So they didn't make it in here. You know, but it was it was one of those things that that for me, it only was natural that all my friends are in AA today. You know, it's it's it's, it's just the way it is. You know, and I don't regret that a minute. You know, I met we are some interesting people. <laughs> we really are, you know. We, we have folks that wouldn't ordinarily mix, you know. They become fast friends, <laughs> become lovers and and companions and compatriots and every other thing. Well, uh, we're together for thirty five years, married twenty. You know, it, it's 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 amazing, you know. But it uh, to me, the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous kept me sober when I could not hit a step and the behind with a bass fiddle. You know, I did not know sick them from coming here about AA. You know, and I began to understand the steps a little bit. I began to understand that steps one, two, and three kind of get me sorted out with God. Steps four and five and six and seven uh, get me sorted out with me a little bit. Eight and nine let me, let me get with you, you know, so I can walk out the door and you don't shoot me. And, and 10, 11, and 12, they call those the, the maintenance steps. I don't believe that. I think they're the growth steps. You know, for me, they've been the growth steps, you know. I'm loyal in my attendance and generous in my giving at my home group, the Clean Air North group. Val and I started to go to the group about a month after it opened, and we, and we met in a beauty shop, a little bitty beauty shop with one bathroom, you know, <laughs> kind of across the street from where we are now. It had little bitty tiles on the floor like this. Little bitty white tiles, you know. 
and a big, long line of mirrors and stuff. And, boy, you talk about making a newcomer nervous. <laughs> Holy mackerel. I mean, you know, a new guy, new guy walking in there, just, whoa, Nelly. <laughs> just couldn't hardly sit still. But uh, the little group has prospered and has grown, and we're across the street uh, now in, in, uh, in the nicest quarters we've ever been in. You know, we, uh, uh, it'll be nothing for uh, uh, the Clean Our North group to have, I don't go on Sunday, uh, but it'll be nothing for the, for the Clean Our North group to have 80 or 90 folks in the, in the, in the meeting room on Sunday. And the men's meeting is well attended, you know, on Saturday morning. And uh, it's, uh, you know, the, the group has prospered and done well. And uh, I haven't had anything to do with that. You know, all I do is go, you know. <laughs> but it was, uh, it's been a pleasure. I don't really know. This might be blasphemy. All you real new guys don't pay any attention. Put your fingers in your ears, you know. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that the steps keep me sober. I think for me, what the steps do is they reduce my ego enough that God can keep me sober because that's his job, you know. And I don't know anybody else stout enough to handle it, you know. I've been around a long time, you know. I'll never regret joining Alcoholics Now. I've enjoyed uh, the journey. I've enjoyed uh, uh, the fellowship. And all my best friends are in AA. That's a heck of a thing to say, you know, at, at 81 years old. But that's the truth. All my friends are in AA, you know. I, I, I know some folks in here that I've met at other meetings, you know, and other places, you know, and, and I'm thrilled to death to see you. I'm going to run a little short, but I'm tired and I'm going to sit down. I love you dearly. Thanks for coming. Thank you once again, Mr. Brooksby, for sharing your story. And thank you again to the Tri-Cities organization for letting me come in and record Mr. Brooks. Uh, it was a pleasure, and I'm sure the Sober Speak audience will get so much from his story. And if you have any feedback for either Brooks or the Tri-City organization, and you want to email me at john, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com, uh, feel free to reach out to me, and I will pass on the feedback accordingly. And if you have uh, feedback for any of the other speakers that you want to uh, communicate with, uh, get your uh, email out to me. And once again, I will pass it on to them. All right. Now on to a little listener de la feedback. First one comes in from Mr. Damon and he writes in, he says, hi, John. I had sent him out an email and he said, wow, an email from Soberspeak, the actual John M. This is an honor, mate. Cheers for reaching out, fella. Well, the honor, Mr. Damon, is all mine, I assure you. He says, I am Damon C., 46-year-old recovering alcoholic from Sussex on the south coast of the United Kingdom. Six months sober. I've been sober since April 15th of 2019, and I'm finding my higher power coming closer to me day by day. So good to hear. I love Sober Speak, mate. Well, we love you as well, Mr. Damon. Um, your podcast dug me out of many holes and put me straight many, many, many times. Brenda J. Wow, Texas lawyer, 
Wow. He's talking about two other episodes, just in case you haven't heard of those. Uh, the Texas lawyer was Jerry J, by the way. He says, I was late for work that day, sitting in my car, listening to him flipping goldfish. So good to hear. I'm about halfway through the episodes now. I download three or four at a time and drive to work, and I listen to them in the bath any way I can. I've been running a Twitter account for my recovery journey, and I connect with so many fellow alcoholics, addicts of all kinds, and I'm always recommending Sober Speak. Well, thank you, Damon. You do an amazing service, mate. Really, really respect what you do. I am in the fellowship six months now, three months with my sponsor, and had an unusual path with my steps because I needed to clear some stuff. Doing amends and inventory before I could connect on step three. I was blocked. Hey man, whatever works for you, Mr. Damon. So my sponsor told me, he said, I need to play the steps like a piano keyboard with me. One, nine, two, ten, three, and now I'm doing step four. Well, and I'll tell you this, Damon, before I go on, people told me that I had to do step one 100% before I could move on with any everything. And I can tell you that I, I did not do step four all the, excuse me, step one all the way until I was in the middle of my four steps. So, hey, keeping through with the process, everybody has a different experience with it. The idea is just to keep moving, at least from my perspective. Anyway, he says, just given my first chair in the fellowship tonight, I visit 19 different groups to keep me sober, daily meetings if I have to. God bless you, and I'm so glad, Damon. The room was packed with all the people I have met in the fellowship tonight. Man, I cried with happiness and gratitude for the fellowship tonight. Man, that's so good to hear, Damon. Thank you so much for reaching out to me, John. It means a lot to me. Hopefully, I will get caught up with the episodes in the next few weeks. Take care, geezer. <laughs> Keep smashing the podcast. Big old namaste hands. Take what you want from this and leave the rest at the curb. Love that bit. <laughs> Two big old smiley faces with crying eyes and like, you know, crying tears of uh, crying tears of uh, laughter. Anyway, peace and love sobriety, brother, and a big old fist, a Damon. Well, thank you so much for writing in, Damon. That made my day. I absolutely love it. Sharon Kay writes in. And what does Sharon Kay say? She says, good morning, John. I found the invite, the Facebook invite she's talking about, and accepted into the group. Thank you so much. I live in Connecticut. As I said in my first email, we went back and forth a couple of times. It's been amazingly helpful to me, the, the podcast, since I started listening. I'm not sure what to share at this point. Honestly, I'm super overwhelmed with emotions. Boy, do I remember that, especially my first year, Sharon. I kept going around thinking the whole time, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I kept crying and I kept thinking, what am I crying about? I have no idea what's going on here. There was an upheaval in my emotional and spiritual state. 
Anyway, she says, I found a meeting this morning that felt close, that felt like home to me. Everyone was so welcoming. I will continue to visit them every Tuesday and Thursday morning for sure and will fill in with other groups as often as I can. I'm extremely grateful to have AA and your podcast in my life right now. Thank you. Well, if you have to ditch one, ditch my podcast, but fortunately, you don't have to ditch any of them, I'm sure. But nonetheless, I'm so glad you found a group. Keep going in there and plugging in with those people. And thanks for listening as well. Carrie writes in and she says, Hey, John, can you send me an invitation to your secret Facebook group for Sober Speak? I've listened to every episode of your podcast and love it. Wow. You've gone to over a hundred of them. Uh, that is absolutely fantastic. I just listened to the fellow who is 56 years sober. Wow. 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 In all capital letters and triple exclamation mark, uh, exclamation points. Um, anyway, she's talking about Bob C, uh, who I just released. Uh, the name of that episode was I met Bill Wilson. She tells me what her Facebook name is. And then she says a little bit about me. I'm 46 years old. I live in Chicago, married, have three kids, ages 10, 9, and 7. Well, if they're listening, hello, little kids. Uh, anyway, I tried to get sober about five years ago and only lasted 10 months. I went back to AA, but if I'm completely honest, I had one foot in the door, if that, and the other out. I had a few other brief periods of sobriety, but nothing ever really added up. I think I always knew I was an alcoholic or destined to become one because of my family history. My dad was an alcoholic, sober through AA. He died in 1995. Two of my three siblings are alcoholics. My aunts, uncles, grandparents, etc. are, were alcoholics. I, I come by the disease honestly. Being a wife and a mom completely crushed me, and I turned to alcohol to drown it all out and to numb all the pain. Alcohol was absolutely killing me from the inside out, and I decided to quit April 29th of this year. However, I was still technically smoking smoking pot. Now, how do you technically just smoke potty. I guess either you do or you don't, but nonetheless, I get it, uh, which spiraled out of control when I quit alcohol. That's not unusual. So I quit pot on August 12th, making me 79 days sober today. Fantastic. I have fully thrown myself into AA. I have a sponsor doing 90 and 90, starting working the steps. The AA community in Chicago is amazing in all capital letters. Meetings of all hours of the day and night within a mile or two of my house. Incredible community of people. I just want to stop there and say that I I know about that amazing Chicago community of recovery. I have been at least to, I'd say, 25 or so meetings there in that area, and I absolutely loved it. I'll never forget going into the mustard seed, and the people in the Chicago area will know what I'm talking about when I say the mustard, mustard seed. Anyway, she says, I'm not going to lie, it's been a grueling and painful place uh, and the pain on the inside is hard, but I keep hearing what 
you all say, and I keep coming back, I know it will get easier as long as I'm completely willing to be honest, and I am. I absolutely love your podcast. I listen to many other podcasts about recovery, but yours is my far by favorite. Well, thank you. I get so excited when I see there's a new episode, so please keep them coming. Thank you so much, Carrie C. Well, thank you, Carrie C. I'll keep them coming. You keep listening, and I appreciate all your kind words, and congratulations on your sobriety. Georgie writes in from the UK. Now, you know, as soon as I say that word, Georgie, I think about the, uh, there was a, the, my, my mother uh, was from Scotland. She grew up in Glasgow, and she used to sing that a song to me when I was a kid. And she would say like a mm-hmm, Georgie girl. Mm-hmm. It was all about Georgie girl. But anyway, uh, that just is a little tangent there. So Georgie, a Georgie girl, wrote in from the United Kingdom, and she says, "Morning, John. Well, morning to you, Miss Georgie." Love your show. Just discovered it this morning on my long, beautiful walk with the dogs. Oh, I love that. I have been struggling to get to meetings as I just started my PhD and have some pain problems. And your talk really helped me organize my head this morning. Oh, that's great. Can I please be added to your secret group? Uh, We got her in there. And I am an AA and NA from the 15th of December, 2019. I have a a, a two-month relapse. And before that, I was sober one year. Well, You know, I went in and out also, and the only thing I did right is I just kept getting back up on that horse and riding it, Georgie. Anyway, she says, I am really keen to find a sponsor and work the steps, but not sure how to go about this. I cannot do this on my own, and I want to get to give back. Look forward to being part of your group. Regards, Georgie. Well, we love having you in the group, Georgie. And, you know, we get that question a lot. I try not to really give out advice, but I can tell you that through my experience, just keeping going back, praying about getting a sponsor, somehow, some way, it was all set in my lap, and I've had the one sponsor that I have I have now for many years, but everyone has a different experience in that, but I know it will work if you just keep going back and just keep praying about it and keep trying. Faith writes in, and she says, hello, John, double exclamation point, I am from Maryland. Your podcasts keep my mind calm when driving back and forth to work to fill a void when I'm feeling lonely. I just celebrated two years, yeehaw, as we say down in here in Texas, and a lot of emotional stuff is coming up. Not yeehaw on that part, but yeehaw on the celebrated two years part. But I'm feeling it, and I'm moving through it instead of avoiding it. 
Oh, that's great. Yeehaw on that part. And so that's new. I was just listening to an agnostic meeting out of Kansas City, but ran out of episodes to listen to. So I found you. And and then I found your podcast on Spotify. I appreciate all of your speakers, but but I really loved Jimmy D, Gary K. And Brenda J. Also, Doug S. was awesome. Oh, and also David G. I just can't pick one. By the way, your accents crack me up. Well, I'm glad they crack you up. You know, I tried those with my family sometime, and they're not so entertained by them. But anyway, thanks for your service. Uh, the podcast makes my days brighter and more spiritual. Faith. Well, what a pretty name. I wonder if she knows other people name uh, Faith and Hope and Charity and love and all that other kind of stuff. But nonetheless, thank you for writing in, Faith. John B. writes in and he says, Hi, my name is John B. I've been listening to your podcast now for about two and a half months. I look forward to hearing your episodes once a week or whenever there is a new one. I've been sober now for five months and two days. Finally, I was beat to the ground and have become willing to change the interior. Good way to put that, in the interior. I am truly grateful for being sober today. I can show up uh, and be a father to my three beautiful baby girls and a husband, uh, and a husband to a wonderful, strong woman. I am thankful to have her by my side during my journey in recovery. Life is hard, but being sober makes it easy. Thank you, and I will continue to listen, John B. Well, thank you, and God bless you and your three beautiful baby girls and your wife. Thank you, John B. Anthony writes in, and he says, I live in Auburn, Washington, And on October 31st, I will have 90 days. That's great. 90 days, man. I remember that that first 90 days. This is not my first time in recovery. I have lapsed a few times before. I used to blame it on multiple surgeries I had this year, but it's really on me. I wanted to use. I wanted to use. I am not giving up this clean date. Uh, as easy as before. It's hard to get one day, uh, much less 82 days. Boy, do I understand that, Anthony. Wet or dry, it all gets me high. (laughs) I found Sober Speak searching through podcasts for sobriety speakers. Anthony, Thank you so much for Anthony. Thank you for writing in, Anthony. And by the time we release this, I pray to God that you, my friend, will have that 90 days. God bless you. Beverly Post in the super secret Facebook group about our hundred our hundredth episode. And she says, this is a big, big deal. Uh, congratulations to the Sober Speak peeps that make it all happen. Love you all. And by the peeps, Miss Beverly is talking about me, my wife Shannon, uh, Miss Cassandra, uh, Miss Bridget. Uh, even Miss Sarah, who helps me with the Sober Speak Live events, and and there there are so many people, and the people who come in here record. Oh gosh, I could just go on and on. But thank you, Beverly, for posting that, and I sure do appreciate it. Nancy posts in the Super Secret Facebook group. She says. 
congratulations on your 100th episode. David G., who we had on for the 100th episode, is one of my favorites. Love how he shares on each of the step work. Love how he shares on the step work in his everyday life. He's not just pulling a page out of the big book, and you're right about that, and he really has a way of articulating in that, and thank you for sharing that. Shannon writes in, not my Shannon, well, when I say my Shannon, my, my wife Shannon, but another Shannon. Shannon writes in on the Instagram, and she says, I just came from my home group's 41st anniversary. We had a nice potluck dinner there before the meetings, and it was awesome. In my first year of sobriety, and I'm also super busy, so I really appreciate the whole meeting between meetings idea of your podcast. Thank you for your service. Well, thank you, Shannon. I appreciate that. Krista writes in on the IG, the Instagram, just in case you aren't aren't cool and you don't know what I'm talking about. And Krista writes in and she says, love the podcast. I'm here in the Dallas area, which by the way, folks, is where I am from. She goes, I go to the Coppell group and the Carrollton group, and it's awesome to hear someone here local having such an impact on the recovery community. Great work. Well, I wrote her back and I told her, well, I love the Carrollton group. I love all the groups in Dallas, but I especially love the Carrollton group because that's where I got sober. And my sponsor, Bob L., goes to meetings there. And she wrote back and she said, Bob L., he is absolutely one of my favorite people in the entire world. I adore him in all big capital letters. And I said, well, tell him I said hi when you see him. And uh, now don't give him too big of a head there, though, Miss uh, Krista. Uh, But I love Bob as well. All right. Ellie writes in once again on the Instagram. And she says, thank you, John, for your podcast. I love listening to it between meetings. It has genuinely made a difference in my recovery program. Ellie, well, thank you, Ellie. I'm glad you're listening in. I'm glad we're able to be a small, small part of your recovery. And last but not least, Philip wrote in, on the Instagram. Oh gosh, and if I remember right, I believe Philip is from Sweden. And uh, he says, hello there, John. Congratulations on the 100 episodes and more. Thank you and everyone for your guest. Today, I felt really, really bad, and episode 100 helped me a lot. So I'm glad that Mr. David G on episode 100 could help you out. Uh, That makes my day, Mr. Philip. And thank you again for writing in. All right, everybody. Keep coming back. It works, folks, if you work it. Thank you for bending your ears toward one of my little podcasts here, one of my little episodes. I sure do appreciate it. And I look forward to hearing from all of you. I do look forward to hearing from many of you soon. If I heard from all of you, that would be a big day of emails. <laughs> but anyway, love y'all. Thanks for letting me be part of your, your life. Bye-bye.